All right, everybody. Uh, we're on the road for another, our second episode of The Beat here with uh, your Julian Nick Baumgartner along with Brendan Quinn and a special guest. We've got um, one of my favorites, someone who I knew we'd have on here at some point, uh, happens to be the first guest. If you're a fan of the old Michigan Rant podcasts from two years ago, I guess it would have been, uh, Mr. Jack Miller is here with Brendan and I in uh, lovely Maumee. We're standing here, uh, we're at an Ohio State bar, it looks like, with a picture of Jim Harbaugh getting sacked on a mural. Uh, so, Jack, uh, what's going on, man? Jack, of course, played at Michigan 2011 to 2014-15. And is like one of my all-time favorite interviews. So, Jack, what's going on, man? Not much. Not much. Thanks for coming down yeah. and having me on. Happy to uh, relive some of the Michigan days yes. and talk through some of the current stuff and all that good stuff. You are the first guest. This is like yeah. a big I feel honored. Big. I feel very honored to be considered uh, for the call. Maybe it's because Nick knew I'd say yes or for other reasons. But <laughs> anyway, happy to be here. No doubt. Can, can we get a little bit more into the surroundings that we are yeah. dealing yeah. with we're, here? We're in, we're in Jack's spot a little bit here, kind of. Yeah, we're this is like, is this like the, the bane Ohio of your State existence. Bar of Miami, Ohio? It is. It's one of the Ohio State bars of uh, the greater Toledo area. And uh, I happen to live just a couple blocks down to a nice little sports bar. Um, good food and good good beers and drinks. And uh, it's kind of the local hangout, so they take care of you. You know, you come in here for four hours and you look at your bill, and they must have thought you're only here for 30 <laughs> minutes or something. So <laughs> skip a few beers. So you get taken care of. and... You know, the downfall to it is, yeah, it is an Ohio State bar. Yeah. and uh, But that's part of the rivalry. That's why the game's so big. And living here in Toledo, I'm right in the center of it. So uh, I, I, it never escapes me, for sure. Literally a mural. I, I think you'll, there's a mural. you might be yes. joking, but there's no. literally a mural. Take a picture Martin of it before we leave. <laughs> getting decapitated. <laughs> there's also a Jack Miller signed photo in the bar, which we already saw, which is around the corner, which I think that's the only pro-Michigan situation it's in the here. only Michigan uh, paraphernalia in here it's at awesome. all. <laughs> Unless it's, of course, a Michigan oh, player getting sacked. tackled. Yeah. Or sacked. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> anyway, so I wanted to have Jack on because Jack's perspective on Michigan, as we talked about last week, some of the guests that we're going to have on here will have better perspective than we do on how all this stuff goes. Jack, uh, from Ohio, and you originally committed to play for Rich yep. Rodriguez. Yep. So kind of walk me through your, your introduction with Michigan, how that started. And it's kind of interesting because... You recruited. You were recruited to a certain offense that you would have fit in really well yeah. into, and then they changed the offense. And ironically, now they're actually running what you would have fit in perfectly as well. But anyway, <laughs> so you were recruited. You were recruited by Rich. I think you committed that summer yeah. of 2010, right? And then obviously things go yeah. from there. Yeah. So I was uh, at St. John's. I was a junior. So uh, I really had no experience or any knowledge about Michigan prior to getting recruited at all. I knew it was in Ann Arbor. I'd never been there. Didn't know much about it. I grew up in Cleveland, so I just knew that it was uh, Ohio State's rival. So I got recruited, went up there, and I just remember coming home and saying to my mom, if they ever offer me, I don't know how I say no to that place. Um, so fast forward a few weeks, they did. Uh, I was you know, living here in Toledo, had just moved to Toledo, or an hour from Ann Arbor. And so the idea of getting to play for the winningest program in football history get that education and be only an hour up the street was was too good to pass up on. So, you know, you talked about getting recruited by Rich Rod and, and no offense to that staff. It was really nothing that they did per yeah. se. It was just more about being able to go to Michigan and have that experience and, you know, get get the all the positives that come from, from playing ball and graduating. So you pulled the Grant Newsom of, he had the famous line of, I did not commit to the University of Brady Hoke. I committed to the University of Michigan. So I think there's a lot of yeah. um, guys certain guys yeah. who go to Michigan and that's why you know you just wanted to be yeah yeah you want to be a part of that more than than anything else about 
coaches or teammates or style of play or whatever. So when he gets fired, and I guess it would have been basically six months later. Yeah. How does how do things change? So it's funny. This is a good story. I was actually on my official recruiting visit, and um, trying to think who else would have been in that room who's still around. Chris Bryant. Uh, yeah, still yeah. on staff. He was there. And so we're at Rich Rod's house, and it was the Heisman was on. So of oh, course, man. so of course they're talking. December, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. of course they're talking intermittently about, um, you know, college football. What's happening in it? Which is, is Rich Rod going to get fired? Yeah, yeah. So we're sitting there in his, his basement, house. you know, on our official visit, and sure enough, that's on. So anyone uh, wants an appetizer? Yeah, yeah. It was a little strange. It was a little strange, but. Um, you know, he gets fired, and, you know, I just said, all right, we'll just hold tight. You know, they'll figure this thing out. Brady Hoke gets hired. Um, I'd like to – you know, I didn't really consider a whole lot of other options. Yeah. You know, Notre Dame a little bit. They've started kind of recruiting me more because of the changeup. Um, but I really never totally reconsidered or anything like that. Brady Hoke called, and just based on – Michigan people that I knew at that point who I trusted, everybody, you know, checked off, said good guy, you know, mm-hmm. good guy to play for. And there was nothing, once again, it wasn't about the coach. Yeah. And so as long as it wasn't some glaring red flag, I wasn't going to reconsider. So I said, all right, well, we're just, we're going to go ahead and do this with a new staff. What is it like for an 18-year-old kid sitting in the basement of the coach? And, and you realize, like, immediately, like, this is a, this is not... This is more than I thought it was, college football. It's it's a cutthroat, you know, it's, serious shit that happens. Yeah, it absolutely is. I think um, I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of good mentors in my life. And so I maybe just naively or being ignorant, always just kind of trusted the adults in the room. Yeah. And so when, you know, when he's saying that it's going to be okay... You know, uh, okay, I'll take you for your word, and when it's not, then it won't be. You know what I mean? And so that was kind of the approach I always had to it. So um, you obviously realize the nature of the business and how big it is um, from afar, but then you start to do stuff like that, and you realize um, kind of the other side, the the personal side of it, right? That it's, you know, these people's livelihood, that that they depend on a bunch of 18-year-old kids to make right, and it's, it's tough. And it gets real serious, obviously, immediately, but again, for you, like we said, they so you're you're recruited to play in a spread system, a center in a spread system, and then all of a sudden you get there and it's we're gonna kind of do that, but we're gonna kind of also try to be a power team now. Yeah, and it changes. I mean that that if anything else probably had to be a change for you, I would think. In that I signed here to play for a guy in a system that I know I would have fit. I mean they had Dave Volk at the time who was right. awesome center, right. great zone blocker, everything else, yep. Remington winner, and you're looking at that saying like shit, Dave Volk's. He's getting shit done. This is I'm gonna be great in here. I'm gonna block for Denard. Yep. We're gonna run spread. And then maybe not so much. Well, like it became this kind of different situation. Yeah, and more than anything, looking back on it, and, and once again, I, I just I think I put trust in the fact that yeah. everything would work out the way it was supposed to. I was making a good decision yeah, and yeah. it gave me options where, you know, I feel like I, I wasn't pigeonholed, right? Like God forbid football wouldn't have worked out or yeah, yeah, you know so I was in a position where I was like, listen, the worst case scenario is still a pretty good situation. So I wasn't necessarily running those through my head. Looking back on it now, um, you know, I was not a guy who carried 300, exactly. 310 yeah. pounds naturally very well, right? right? And so I struggled with that. To get to that weight, then I was struggling being in good shape, right? And so, I, you know, some of the things that I was being asked to do that I would not have been had I been in that other system. You know, the, the thing is, though, when I showed up and I was a freshman and Molk was still there, um, we were still playing that style of offense, yeah. right? We had no other option. That's yep. what everybody was trained to do. So it wasn't an immediate notice that this is going to be this whole different system, whole different logic. But after I started to see the recruits that they were bringing in, we figured, well, this isn't going to be a spread offense for much longer. Right, yeah, everything changes. And, like, so 
the, the very beginning of, of Hoke, I remember that season. That was my first season, 2011. Yeah. So we, we have first season brothers there, you and I. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, but I remember, like, you guys won 11 games, and it was it was a kind of a weird year in some ways and that it was just like everything was new, everything seemed to work, nothing really bad seemed to happen ever. Every time no. you guys looked like you were in a in a bad spot, it would it would wiggle out and bounce no, out. It was just Denard a, would throw up a long ball to Junior yeah. Hemingway and he'd go make some outrageous catch and it'd get us out of a position like that. I, I watched a game um, the Iowa game that we lost yes. that year. And just watching how much there was a lot of talent on that team. Yeah. There was a lot yeah. of talent. And I think that um, the things that Coach Hoke and his staff did really well um, were probably some of the things that were missing in that Rich Rod era. So, so kind of bringing that orderly discipline, we're going to outwork, you're yeah. going to be out, you know, we're just going to be tougher than you, worked with some guys that had a lot of skill and had a lot of talent, and they were able to kind of put it together. And that was a senior laden team. Yeah, so many right. You had Mike Martin, you had Van Bergen, yeah. um, trying to think up front. Hugie was playing tackle. Yep. Mole was a senior, right? Uh, yeah. Junior Hemingway. I mean, you had some some really really good guys who um, who wanted to win for each yep. other. They had been through a lot of chaos, you know, because they were all on the opposite end, right? They were Lloyd yep. Carr guys yep. that dealt with the, you know the bad Rich Rod era of, of winning, I should say, and um, so they wanted to win, yep. right? They wanted to win for each other, and they just and that team got hot at the right time. Yep. I remember late in the season we played Nebraska, and we we were just playing lights out yes. for us at that point. Practice was good. Playing, we were playing well, and you know that's in any sport what it's about down the stretch. It's just getting hot at the right time, you know. So eleven and two, everybody's feeling amazing. You guys get ranked like number seven or something, and everyone forgets that you lost like twenty seniors. Everything changes now. What is that like off season like for you guys? That first off season. Where it's like, okay, now everyone's paying. You're gonna play Alabama, right? Just so we're clear, because I was not here. Yet. You were not there yet. Like, Hope after that first year was already anointed as like. Oh, well, it was brought it back. This right. is we, the guy. Right. We Michigan's back. back. Yeah, you know, I remember people. Day. People loved the no headset thing. That was they awesome. Loved it. Year yes. one. That was awesome. Year one. They loved the no headset. They loved when he wouldn't talk about injuries and yep. he would like make fun of us and yep. tell us like. I'm not talking about that because right. uh, the hell with you guys. Yeah. And they thought it was cute and funny. Winning, and great. winning cures all, yeah. right? When you're winning, you can do those people, and people admire yeah. you for it. You're losing, and people use it against you. So, yeah, things were great, and uh, <laughs> it was a great season. It really was. Yeah. Things came together. I remember after we beat Notre Dame on that, you know, yeah, yeah, round three pass, yeah. right? We were in the training room the next day, and I think it was Denard might have said to Patrick Omame, or Patrick said to Denard, I think. I think we were ranked like three or something after that like something ridiculous it was like yeah and we was, all yeah. somebody said i don't remember exactly what the quote was but like we're the worst number three team ever yeah. like that's, that's not yeah right yeah. but but things just for whatever reason that year they worked out really well guys played together guys played hard they played yeah, hard they as did play that hard. season and uh you know went on to win a sugar bowl i mean talk about a crazy game <laughs> yeah. at virginia tech game so you know that happens Long right snapper catches a pass right yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the whole pass. the whole thing was just <laughs> bizarre that season i mean yeah, that yeah. kind of summed up that season you know found a way to get it done just yes. in a bizarre fashion um, and then it just, yeah, and then I think that then the pressure was on, right? right and then yes. it was, okay, now it's not about having a good team. Now it's about building a good program. And it did. It changed. We lost a lot of guys and had to kind of restart and, and you know, start from anew. What was it like? You guys played Alabama the next year yep. in Texas. Yep. And Alabama was probably number one. You guys were probably like number six or seven. Right. What was the mood in camp going into that Alabama game because I can remember people thinking they're going to give it to Alabama and they're going to beat them and I'm like Christ guys I don't know they lost a lot of seniors and Alabama is 
that Alabama. Was, that was so kind of like what was what was the mood like? Yeah, that, camp that, that was kind of right on the the beginning front of the SEC just being a step above everybody. Yeah. That was kind of when it got determined yes. at that point that the SEC was just better. Yeah, than they anybody. had like Eddie Lacy and Yeldon in the same. So, I, so I remember I remember standing on the sidelines in Jerry world or whatever the hell yeah. you want to call that place and that screen is so damn big that i'm not shitting you uh it was a run play we were on offense because i wasn't starting at the time yeah and the ball gets stretched out somebody's running right at the sideline and i go and i'm looking at the big screen i'm like you know watching him try to turn the corner I'm like, he's not gonna make it. he's not gonna make it. he's not gonna make it boom right at my feet and i didn't yeah. even see it coming because the, the yeah. damn jumbotron so big i got a better view watching up there than i did right in front of me um but no going into the game i think the mood was good i mean i think people were confident it wasn't yeah. a matter of you know we didn't think we could do it or um anything else beyond the fact that they were just a better team yeah um i mean i remember in warm-ups looking around and going jesus their cornerbacks are bigger they're than big. our linebackers you know what i mean there's yeah there's they're just they're on a different level and you know that showed i mean that's all that was the better yeah. team won that game and so that starts an interesting year where it's like, I feel like you guys, you lost to Notre Dame, I think, in a close game on the road. Yeah, like we should know. We had like five or six turnovers. Yep, yep. But still, when I look back at the Brady Hoke era, the game I always point to is you played at Nebraska in 2012. Denar got hurt. Uh, Devin Gardner was still playing receiver, and they put Russell Bellamy in, and it obviously didn't work. But that, to me, if you won that game, you guys would have been in Indianapolis. Yep. And you would have probably... I don't know if you'd have won the Big Ten, but you'd have been in the Big Ten title game. And, and it would have changed It changes the perception. Everything. You go on the right. road in a yeah. hostile environment and win, and now it's not the, yeah. the curse that was, which is you can't get the big game done on the road, yeah. right? Then it was, shit, this team's for real, and these right, guys right. are you know, they're, these guys are a bunch of badasses who you yeah. know, are going to go win football games. And, yeah, and we didn't. And, um, and I would agree. I think that was a real turning point for that regime in that, in that season. Do you guys feel it at the time? I mean, did it feel like uh, Yeah, just... I mean, you know, you, you never knew what was, what was still two years out, right? Yeah, right you know, right. so you couldn't have felt that. But the idea that it was like, you know, felt it, felt it slipping after that. You know, Denard gets hurt. Russell's just, you know, we were, we were out coached that game. We were out manned. I mean, um, it was just bad. And I think it was – not a wake-up call, yeah. but yeah, there was a feeling of you know, shit. What are we doing? You know. And then another thing I want to get into before we get down the line here is I know Brendan wants to talk about this too. Around that time, you obviously weren't playing much, so you weren't talking with media much. But you're at Michigan, and you see the interest that people have in Michigan football in Ann Arbor in the fishbowl, right? How big it is, and it's something that you probably can't comprehend until you get there. But when when did you start to realize like this is ridiculous? <laughs> This is insane. There are people standing on that bridge trying to watch to see if somebody's got, like, tape on his ankle. And, like, what is that like for an 18-, 19-year-old kid? Yeah, so one of the things that Hoke and his staff did really well is insulate us from a lot of that, yeah. right? There's a reason you guys had limited access. There's a reason um, that was just a big part of their message was to block all that out. Yeah. You know, to this day, I'll be honest with you, and I shouldn't be surprised by this, but, you know, I sent out a tweet the other day about, you know, I, uh, that stupid chant that they do before fourth down. Yeah. The you suck bitch thing. Right, the you yeah. suck's fine, but the bitch thing's yeah, not classy, right? right? Yeah. It's, it's dumb. It's high school, right? right? Anyway, I send that tweet out. Next thing I know, I check my Twitter, and I got, like, 30,000 replies from these Michigan fans, you know, like, with all sorts of opinions, you know, and it reminded me of how big and enamored the fan base yeah. is, you know? So even to this day. I don't think I always fully yeah. comprehend, right? I really don't. Yeah. Um, you know, the biggest football fans are not football players. I can tell you that, right? right? right. You know, that's yeah. the God's honest truth. So, you know, obviously getting ingrained and, and starting um, 
even when you're not playing, but just being around it enough, you start to get a feel for what it is, you know. And then being from a town like Toledo, yeah, um, which is different than being from Detroit or Grand Rapids or whatever, because you got the Ohio State thing here, and you see the the rivalries that it creates, and, yeah. the, and the other fan bases how they feel about a place like Michigan. So it's just, yeah. I, once again, I don't know if you ever fully interpret it, right? Um, but you started to notice really early on what it was. Absolutely. Do some guys though go the other way because I know like us as writers you know like we live in that ecosystem it's just yeah. an echo chamber of insanity of just the yeah, fans right. all we hear right. is the fans we want to talk to the players and the coaches more but that's not really an option right. a lot of times so all we really yeah. hear a lot is the message boards and just the bullshit blah 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 are there some guys in your experience that have kind of wandered a little bit outside and, and read too much, see too much, know too much, and it, and it messes with them. Fucks I, I think that there's a certain contingent of players that I don't think anybody goes far enough down the rabbit hole where they're on message boards and stuff. I'd be hard-pressed yeah, right. to think that. But certainly there are guys who let it feed into their ego and love it and want to be, you know, kind of want to be outspoken because they know that there's attention to be had, right? I mean, yeah. there's things that absolutely guys go that way. You know, to get as crazed as and in arguments with and stuff, right? I mean, it never gets that extreme like like the fan, the fans will. Um, but yeah, there are certainly guys who can fall too far, you know, one way into letting it play into what yeah. they do, how they act, right. what they're about. Right. I can remember talking to Justin Dickens, who's SID at the time, and I think he was ended up being Brady's like director of ops after yep. a while. And he used to say that he would tell guys when they were younger, like if you don't like it. Go fucking play at Eastern because yeah. like this is what we deal with here and I, I remember that being like guys were made back then anyway they were forced to talk more than maybe they wanted to I think Justin probably had a lot to do with that like guys had to be exposed to that you had to understand that this is part of what you're dealing with here that these people can love you like they did after that Notre Dame game and in a week man they can turn on you right. On a dime. Right. I mean, that's got to be like a head-swiveling thing for a kid. You know, I mean, because you're a kid. You're 18. Yeah. You're 19. I'll, yes, it absolutely is. Um, you would hope you would hope that there's enough um, intelligence, I'll, I'll use, yeah. uh, that, you, that you're aware of that going in, right? Yeah. And you're not getting all, oh, my God, I'm so loved. I'll tell you what, what people fall into that trap more with is getting recruited and their coaches yeah, right, right you're the greatest thing ever you're playing to meet you know all these empty promises and i don't want to say empty promises yeah. but just this well, feeling yeah. of oh you can do no wrong and then you show up and you suck and you serve me no value anymore <laughs> we'll see you in two years when you're ready <laughs> yeah right. you know so people you know players will fall into that trap much more than the yeah. you know the fans love me they don't you know I, you know I, I, back to the you know with dickens and hoke and yeah. and those guys i think that um one of the things that that staff did really well, which was a double-edged sword, is, like I said, insulate the yes. players from a lot of that, right? At the same time, what I think it caused in some respects is a, a very military approach like that. Nobody's nobody's different than anybody else, and mm-hmm. you couldn't have a personality to yeah, some extent, right? right? Yeah, they yeah, didn't, yeah, you know, absolutely. Taylor was always, you know, his personality was so big it was never yeah. going to not be out there. Right. But it was always edgy. And now right. you look around, and that's commonplace for yeah. guys like right. Taylor Lewan to be in college football and be outspoken and yeah. do their thing, right? right? But I can remember, you know, I can remember Taylor sending out some sort of tweet. Oh, it was when we got that pig. It was me, oh, Taylor, yeah, and Graham, and <laughs> a couple other guys. We had a pig in the house. Yeah. And it went on Twitter, and it blew up, right? And Dickens called me. I didn't put it on Twitter. Yeah. He goes, get him to take that down. You know yeah. what I mean? And so certainly there's a fine line between right. we don't want to deal with that and 
hey, these are individuals, right? Yeah, and they're right. going to have different personalities, and you're going to have to you know, learn to accept that. So, once again, it was a good thing in some respect. Maybe internally it didn't yeah. serve the purpose it should have, because I think it kind of stifled everybody's ability to maybe be themselves a little bit. And does that, does that, yeah, does that create almost in a, in a weird way of, you know, you're not being yourself? You're, you're, you're walking you on like eggshells. Yeah, you don't want to, yeah, absolutely. You that, don't, all because you don't want to embarrass someone, I guess, or it's a pig, it's a college kid, <laughs> whatever. Like, who cares, right? right. It's not a big deal. Right. So back to the uh, so 2012 goes. What do you guys go eight and five? Uh, not the way anybody wanted, but still, it's like okay, everyone's still kind of everyone's okay. Everyone's okay right. for the most part. Right. Uh, Devin played well at the end of that season. I remember that right. So Devin Garner plays well. Devin did play well. Yeah. So maybe that's some hope. Mm-hmm. And then you go into the next year, and I feel like if anything really, when things really started to fall, that 2013 was when it really started to. It seemed like from the outside. Yeah. That if anything, that's at some point that year. It started to fade away to, I'm not sure this can get fixed. Well, once again, kind of interesting, right? I think we opened up the season that year with Central. Yeah. And then we played Notre Dame and whooped them. Yeah, badly. Like, absolutely manhandled Notre Dame. So everybody's walking out of that going, all right, we're all right. Like, we're on. Let's go. And then the next week was the Akron debacle. Mm -hmm. We barely, you know, we had a goal line stand to beat Akron or whatever it was. And to this day, I really don't know what that was. I don't think it was because that staff would not have allowed it, resting on laurels and yeah. thinking you're better than you are. I mean, I don't know what it was. You know, we struggled to beat them. Then we go to UConn, play like shit, barely beat yep. UConn. Um, and it just kind of was eh, the rest like of the season. It was like an awkward 5-0 or something like that. And yes, lost nobody State. felt yeah. good. Right, nobody yeah. felt good about it. Then we went to Penn State. Should have... Should have won the game. Should have won the game. It was the weirdest game ever. That was like eight overtimes. They were all into it because it was Bill O'Brien's like first year. Yeah, we went to triple year. overtime, yeah, right? Yeah, overtimes. yeah. You know, should you know? So had our chances to win that, and um, and didn't. That was my first weekend in Ann Arbor. That was the Penn State watch, game. Watch yeah. that game in a bar. Really? Like, this is quite the <laughs> quite the <laughs> quite the scene. <laughs> well, you think back to that season yeah. too, then. Um, that was the two-point conversion with Drew Dilio that we missed against Ohio State. Yeah, so, so, the year, yeah. so you're there. You, you know, you're right there once again from not being that far off. Yeah. Just like people are saying about the Harbaugh years thus far. Yeah. A couple of those games, you know, you know the you know JT was short thing, right? You're a couple games away from everybody feeling really, really good. Yeah. You know, and that's the thing about football is it's it, the margin of error is so damn thin that you know. You walk out on one side and you're, you know, on cloud nine. You walk out on the other and you're like, God, we're awful. Yeah. What the hell are we doing? That was a weird season. That team. Weird season. There were guys at the end of the year who insinuated anyway that the, the, the locker room in general might have been like clicky a little bit. It wasn't as close maybe as you'd want it to be. Did you, is that overblown or was that real? I think, I think that everybody was scared that year because really? they knew that if it didn't work out, it was going to start to be, okay, is this, uh, time was up, right? So yeah. it's either working or it's not, right. and judgment day's coming pretty soon. And not, you're getting fired, sure, yeah, but right. we're going to start to think about that. And I think that caused everybody to really um, not play at their highest level. You know, we had a lot of young guys. That's the other thing, too. A shit ton of young guys. And I think just based on what I remember is that people were reaching the whole time for for solutions because they were just they felt pressured, right? They felt like they had to figure something out. So we're gonna do we're gonna play this guy, we're not gonna play that guy, we're gonna get the you know, we're gonna do all these different things in an attempt to solve problems yeah. because they were starting to arise, I think, you know. Yeah. I mean that was a weird year too, because it's just like the offense was just I mean, I always liked talking to El Borges. Like I thought he was one of the more entertaining guys we ever talked to. Yeah. 
No, he knows football. I'm not going to say that he doesn't. He just waved at me on Facebook. So unless it's a fake account, so unless it's a fake account, Al Borges is reaching out. These I think days. he's. I think he's back in Ann Arbor. I think he lives. I think he's like retired now. Finally okay. retired. Yeah. After Al Borges has coached at like 5,000 schools. Yeah. Coached for a long time. Yeah. And been in OC like everywhere. Right. But it always felt like with with that staff in general, it was like the weird like, do we go all the way in on letting Denard be Denard? Or do we go and be, you know, downhill, powerball, everything no, else? No, it was a weird it implementation weird of both. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people have their opinion on, on Al Borges, and, and I, yeah. I do too, because, you know, I got I got benched halfway through that season. Yes. Yes. Um, which, looking back on it now, not just saying this because it's me, yeah. I don't think was the right call. We right. put guys in there who were not ready to play right. ball yet. Um, so... You know, everyone's got their opinion on him, but I saw him be a good coordinator. Like our, yeah. that freshman year, we were you know yeah, that you guys first had year, like four hundred twenty years. And I can remember coming into you know to a game week, and the coaches would have a great game plan and some new wrinkles, and hey, this is what we're going to yeah. do, and then we go execute it. And work. I mean, that's how you know yeah. that things are really right. working. So I saw it firsthand, and I just, to, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess if people, if it were that easy to know the answers, everybody would just have them. But um, how it kind of spiraled and just got yeah. out of control to a point where. You know the offense was couldn't do anything until that Ohio State game where we My scored God, a lot yeah, of points and, it explodes, and, it, yeah. and but you know that game's always its own thing. So I'm glad you brought up that offensive line because that year was I think you guys gave up like 120 some tackles for loss because like you said you're playing there were a lot of young Kalis guys too early yeah right Kyle Bosch, Bosch played too Bosch early was playing too early um, and, and then it just became this revolving door where it was like you guys had NFL tackles because Juan was on that team. And Schofield. And Mike Schofield was right. on that team. Draft picks. And, like, Graham Glasgow was on that team, too. Graham was on that but team. But, like you know, Graham, yeah, Graham was not the Graham that, that we knew late yeah. in his career. Graham was one of those guys who literally just got better every single day of his life. Um, <laughs> and he wasn't at that <laughs> right. point yet, you know. But that's an interesting thing that nobody ever talks about. Because, you know, I've been doing stuff with Michigan State, and they obviously have offensive line problems now. Michigan's offensive line has resurrected itself right. in terms of depth. But can you touch on how hard it is for a first or second year player as an offensive lineman to go in there and do something like that because it's just a different people I still don't think because I get people all the time like why don't they play a freshman why don't they just put that guy in there he was a stud in high school he's big he's big he's, he's really big he fix it. he's really big <laughs> he can fix it but then like you said when you pull somebody out of that and start going younger not only does it cause problems for the current team in the situation but it stunts growth I feel long term like, probably of, of for the, the guy yeah, yeah. So, like, Kalis, Kyle Bosch, Kyle Bosch ends up transferring. But, like, I feel like that stunted their growth. Like, mm. they did not grow as fast as maybe they could have because they were in there early and they had to. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair to say. I think, um, you know, you get uh, the obvious answer is you're a young guy playing offensive line, which is all about physically being more dominant than another human. So, when you're an 18-year-old playing a 22-year-old, who do you think has that matchup? Yeah. You know, all things considered, you're big, big 10 offensive lineman, right? right? You know? So that's the first issue. The second is, no matter what position you play, unless maybe receiver, the speed of the game is so much different that you don't have time, you know, there's no substitute for experience. There's just not. And so your body, you know, naturally reacts knowing that I've seen that kind of motion with the linebacker come behind the guy because some sort of stunt, right? And you just kind of fit, you know, just know what to do by muscle memory versus a young kid who's in there and hasn't seen it nearly at that speed or seen it at that level or look like that and is expected to, you know, have the field awareness and be able to pick up on those things. So, you know, all the above, yeah, I I think that is certainly the hardest position in college football to adjust to. 
Um, and it does take time and it takes a lot of experience. And that's why you don't see that very often. Very, very few times. You know, Mason Cole's an example of a guy who figured yep. it out really, really early. And Mason by no means is the strongest guy in the room. No. Never was. Just really technically sound and really smart, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and plays quick and just plays decisive. And, and it worked out for him. But, yeah, it's, you know, very rarely do you get lucky with a guy like that, you know. And, and right. Mason's one of those guys looking on the surface that you would say you wouldn't think that he because yeah. he never was physically imposing or anything, right. you know. And you get a guy like Kalis who looked like a grown man when he was 18. <laughs> you'd be like, well, he'll, he'll be fine. Just throw him in there, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a little truth to that for sure, but it, it, it depends on the guy. And then it turns into quicksand a little bit too, right? Because it's like that, that line suddenly can't get out of its own way, and now all of a sudden you guys are being asked to do things that no one's ready for, and you're posting games where it's like 8, 9 TFLs and confidence just goes to hell. Yeah, and, then, mean, and, and then everybody else starts to doubt you, right? Then the quarterback yeah. doesn't have confidence to sit right. in the pocket. Right. Then that screws up the timing of the routes. You know, I remember thinking to myself in those later years where – it was, you know, 10-man football. Oh, you know, yeah. Everybody would get it figured out, and then one guy would mess it up. Then the next time, everybody and that guy would get it figured out, and then another guy would just drop the ball on something or drop the ball, you know. And so it just – so much of, you know, football is an emotional game. So much of it is momentum and right. just kind of where you're at mentally as a team and as individuals. And um, it's really hard to pull yourself out of the tank when shit's going bad. Yeah. And, it, and those are examples of – of times where things just continue to spiral downwards. I think this is probably a good spot to pause, yes. right? This, uh, so the, the free episode is over. So, <laughs> so we all just, you bloodsuckers. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to take a break. So this, this, the first half hour here with Jack <laughs> is going to be on iTunes on the uh, regular channel you can, that you subscribe to and everything else. If you are an athletic subscriber, uh, we will have a second half hour here coming up in a moment. So if you're not an athletic subscriber, I suggest you do so because the next half hour we're going to talk with Jack about 2014. We're going to talk about Jim Harbaugh coming in, uh, the end of Brady Hope, the coaching search that lasted 700 years that almost (laughs) killed me and probably did worse damage to Jack and the rest of the guys in there and all that stuff and, of course, uh, what Jack's up to now. So um, for the uh, free show, thanks for listening. We'll catch you in a couple seconds. For everyone else, stay tuned. We'll be right back.